So one of the things I want to suggest tonight is that we're, it seems to me, very, very busy as people. And I speak to people at different life stages, uh, different places, and everyone says, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. There's a sense of trying to keep uh, my head above water. And uh, I speak to uh, married people who sound busy, single people who sound busy, students who feel busy, uh, retired people who, who sound very busy looking after parents and grandchildren, and everyone seems to be busy. And it got me thinking. I was thinking about my own life. And I have to say, I was reflecting on my life, and I was thinking, as I look back, it has felt quite busy and sort of, uh, you know, it hasn't sort of uh, uh, felt really calm and serene. It's felt quite busy. And I remember the first job I had, it seemed to start early, my busyness. I went to Israel on a kibbutz when I was 18, a mate of mine called Stu said, come to Israel with me. And I said, okay, I'd never, I wasn't a Christian. I thought this is a bit strange, but let's go to Israel. Went to a kibbutz, and on the first morning, someone said, uh, does anyone drive here? Has anyone got a driving license? I, I just passed the week before. And someone said, put your hand down, put your hand down. He said, okay, you, what's your name? I said, it's Mike. He said, okay, I'll meet you at half past four tomorrow morning. You're working with me. And I spent the next three or four months just really busy working in the fields. I really enjoyed it, but it was busy. And then I went to uh, university. I did a law degree. It felt busy. And then, um, you know, I became a lawyer. That felt just really uh, busy and juggling, juggling, juggling. And then I sort of went into ministry, and that has felt busy. It's a great joy and privilege, but it's, it's felt busy. So what I want to do tonight is think about busyness, and especially, actually, what I want to talk about is Sabbath. And uh, I want to unpack this a little bit this evening. Now, one of the interesting things is God actually can really help us with our busyness. God can really, really help frame our lives so that we can live a balanced life and flourish and thrive. Now, um, God isn't the sort of God of the still, placid lake, the God of the forests, and he's all those things. But actually, he's also the God of the workplace, uh, the, the business, the factory. And uh, I want to just start with a little bit of theology um, about um, God and the fact that he is amazing, he is almighty, uh, and he also does quite a lot of work. He knows, actually, what it is to be busy, and you can probably guess where I'm going. I'm starting at Genesis 1, right at the beginning you see this, and you see, actually, a working week of God's and over seven days. And so you'll see Genesis 1, verses 1 to 31. Basically, you get a summary of a God's working week. And on the first day, you'll know he basically creates light and day. The second day, uh, the sky. The third day, land, sea, vegetation. The fourth day, uh, living creatures uh, 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 in the skies and the birds. The fifth day, creatures on the ground and uh, uh, various other creatures. The, the sixth day, he basically uh, creates uh, humankind. And uh, that's a busy week. I mean, I, if I did that at the end of the week, I think, God, oh, I've been quite productive this week. Um, I'm quite happy with my performance this week. And uh, basically, God um, is busy. And uh, it's interesting, in the original text of uh, the scriptures, we chapters have been inserted subsequently, so it makes it look like the pinnacle of his week was creating humankind. Actually, uh, the pinnacle of this narrative, this journey, is day seven. And what does God do on day seven? Well, you know what God does uh, on 
day seven. This is Genesis chapter two, verses one and three. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know what happens to the descendants of Adam and Eve. There's a, there's a, there's a long and complicated story, but the, the, the headlines are this. They end up in slavery in Egypt, and they have terrible working conditions. They, they have uh, Egyptian slave drivers who treat them badly, abuse them, give them impossible work to do, and basically... God raises up Moses and leads them out of Egypt into the promised land. There's a bit of a blip, uh, but they get eventually out and into the promised land. And God gives them uh, the Ten Commandments. It's a law to help them flourish in life. And the fourth commandment uh, is this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your female or male servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing uh, in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what you see is this idea, this rhythm for flourishing in life, which is about working and then resting, working uh, and then resting. And the thing is, you see, God actually wants us to live an amazing life, an extraordinary life where we find life and life to the full. And what he wants to do is um, actually... Part of what he wants to do is give us rest. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Are any of you weary and burdened? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And learn from me, for I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So God wants us to flourish. He wants us to thrive. Uh, work is a gift from him, uh, but he wants us to lead balanced lives and find actually rest uh, for our souls. So this is uh, an important thing to recognize uh, as we reflect on this topic of busyness. And Jesus himself, we've looked at the Old Testament, if you like, we look, Jesus himself uh, would have obeyed the Sabbath and had a Sabbath. And Jesus, in his interactions with uh, the Pharisees, uh, often had a bit of an argument with them from time to time about uh, the whole concept of the Sabbath. Now, when I was in Israel as an 18-year-old, I met many Orthodox Jewish uh, uh, men, predominantly, and uh, what was interesting is there were lots of laws about the Sabbath, and they got very, very pernickety about not doing anything on the Sabbath. They'd get paranoid about even having a fridge on because it was electricity. And I remember talking to one Orthodox Jew. I was a smoker at that time. He was a chain smoker. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't actually uh, 
light a cigarette on the Sabbath because you're not allowed to start a fire. And uh, such was his, his observance uh, of the law. Now, Jesus scrapped with the disciples on a number of occasions. And basically, one of the occasions, you'll know, is recorded uh, when the disciples and him are going through some grain fields on the Sabbath. I think this is uh, Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful uh, on the Sabbath. My clicker is um, a bit temperamental. Can we move on one, please? Thank you. He answered, have you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. He and his companions ate the consecrated bed, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. So haven't you read in the law that there are uh, priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And Jesus basically reminds them uh, uh, in the Mark version of this. He said the, the, on the next slide, the, law, uh, the Lord is greater than the Sabbath. The, law, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Jesus um, seems to have a slightly different approach uh, to Sabbath keeping. And basically uh, what he says is actually we're not bound by the Old Testament law you don't have to uh, have a Sabbath, but it's not a bad thing to do in your rhythm of life, if that makes sense. Now, um, what's interesting about this is that uh, in terms of a rhythm of working and resting, our culture tends not to be great at that. When I was growing up, Sunday actually uh, was a dead day uh, in the sense of people seemed to rest on a Sunday when I was a boy. The, the news agents was open till about half past nine, maybe ten. You might be able to get a bit of a paper and some milk, but there were no birthday parties. There were no uh, shops open, no restaurants open, no coffee shops in those days. And actually, it was a bit of a down day. And you wouldn't really invite friends over on a Sunday. And I wasn't brought up in a Christian family, by the way. And uh, actually, there was a bit of a down day. But obviously, that's all gone now. And uh, Sunday is just like any other day, isn't it? And so, um, basically, uh, I want to suggest that as people, we often struggle to follow this teaching of God. We often struggle to rest. And what's interesting, if you look at... Uh, uh, the Israelites, so did they. Academics believe, actually, that the Israelites struggled to keep the Sabbath uh, as well. So, let me try and wrap this up and um, try and unpack this uh, a little bit. So, what I'm saying is it's good to work. Uh, it's good to rest. That's where you can find life. The Old Testament law says have a day uh, off in six. We're not bound by that, but there seems to be a principle about balance and rest in life that we need to take seriously. So uh, let me unpack this. You'll see on this next slide that basically we live in this busy, busy um, uh, culture. And um, uh, here we go. Was that worth it to get to the slide that says busy on it? Hands on, no, it wasn't, was it? But there you go. 
We live in this busy culture, and I think we struggle to stop because we are basically busier than previous generations. We're working longer hours than previous generations. Uh, we have less leisure time than previous generations. We're spending less time with our kids because we're so busy than previous generations, and it sort of goes on and on and on and on and on. What's fascinating, I've been digging into this for the last few years, all those statements I've just said are not true. So uh, what's fascinating is that actually we're not working harder than previous generations. And uh, the, the latest research coming out of Oxford University in 2016 would say actually we're not working uh, longer hours. We're actually spending more time with our children than previous generations. And uh, actually we have more leisure time than previous generations. And uh, generally speaking, we're we're not any busier. Now, how do you respond to that? That really shocked me when I, uh, I read that. And it's slightly, um, I found it a bit annoying because I was feeling really, really busy. And I thought, this is a bit, this can't be right. Uh, but actually, uh, it is right. And uh, I've looked into this. I've read some articles on this. And uh, this is an interesting dynamic because everyone feels busy. Everyone says they're busy. Everyone says the world's getting busier. The this and that, it's going crazy. Actually, if you actually look at this from an objective point of view, we're not actually working harder. So what is interesting, academics would say, is what's happened is even though those things I've just said are true, what's changed to previous generations is we feel more busy, even though we're actually not more busy. We actually feel more busy. Why do we feel more busy? Are you interested? Are you interested in my four reasons? Are you sure? Are you still awake? Okay, here's the first of one. Actually, what's happened for our generation is there's far less boundaries around work, predominantly due to the internet. So actually, so in previous generations, in an agricultural uh, economy, uh, when it went dark, you just had to stop working, you couldn't keep going. Uh, when you're planting crops, you can't sort of hold a gun to their head and make them grow faster. Uh, 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 but actually, in our knowledge economy, uh, where which is where we are now, there's less boundaries around work. So the internet has meant that we're far more available than previous generations. And so I don't know, but you know, when I was growing up, you'd leave stuff at work, you'd go home. Now you can actually work at home on your iPhone. You can actually work in the gym. You can uh, uh, work anywhere. And uh, this is making us feel busier. And actually, this is quite a problem. And there's all sorts of etiquette with email, for example. So I'd, how, I don't know, how, uh, what's your sense of time of appropriateness to respond to an email? Uh, the marketplace apparently says at the latest 24 hours, really. And ideally, some people expect a reply within about half an hour or an hour. Don't you, you ever had that, an email is sent and another one comes through? Blah, blah, where are you? Da, 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 da. So we feel more busy because actually the boundaries around our working life have gone, you know. And uh, you can be on holiday and you're available or you can check your email. You could never do that. You can never do that 15 years ago. You'd struggle to do that 10 years ago. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that 
as a generation, we see time as far more valuable. We're aware of time in a way previous generations haven't been, and the value of time. It's our relationship with time has changed. So apparently, we're aware of that more than ever. And so when we have the opportunity, let me ask you a question. When you have an opportunity, say you suddenly think, oh, I've got a couple of hours or a bit of an afternoon, uh, increasingly what people are doing is not oh, I'm going to have a rest then. I'm just going to lie down and sleep. Or I'm just going to watch that movie. Or I'm just going to do whatever you want to do. It's kind of like, oh, my God, I've got a space. Let's sort of, let's sort of get this done and let's, get, let's keep going and uh, get this crack through the to-do list. And that's because our relationship with time has changed. So they're the first two. The third is this. Are you ready for this? Our consumer society is stressing us out and making us feel quite overwhelmed, the research says. So, you know, when I was growing up, I remember talking to this uh, shopkeeper, our local shopkeeper, and uh, he said, I'm shutting the shop. I said, why on earth are you shutting the shop? He said, because we don't have enough space. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean you don't have enough space? He said, well, you know, five years ago, we just had um, in the bread department two loaves of bread, brown and white. He said, now we've got 10 or 12 strains of French bread let alone the Italian and all this sort of stuff. And uh, actually, our ch the choices we have today uh, just stress us out. It, it sounds good, you know, you can, you know, I want to buy a pair of jeans, okay, how many choices have I got? Oh, okay, I'll look down there, maybe there's a sale on there, what about this? How, oh, maybe there's a sudden, maybe a cheaper deal here, let's look on Amazon, okay, yeah, okay, blah, blah. and it becomes just very complicated. And choice is stressing us out more than in previous generations. You know, you go, you go into a coffee shop, you've probably got 80 options of a coffee, haven't you? You know, mochaccino, cappuccino, latte without the juice, almond, anti-clockwise. You know, it's all that sort of stuff. And it it's actually feels like we've got the choice and the freedom, but research is saying it's actually a little bit stressful. Uh, because what if I make the wrong choice? What, what if I buy the wrong jeans? What if I actually get that car and there's a better one? And that's not good. And the other thing that's stressing us out is we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And there's an image-based culture. So actually what we're doing is we, we feel we have to <laughs> keep buying stuff as good consumers to keep up with people. Puts us under a lot of pressure. And then the fourth thing is simply this. And this is, this is the heart of it, actually. This is the main reason why we feel more busy than ever. Busyness has become a badge of honor, a status symbol. And the research would say, you know, in the 19th century, if you wanted to show someone how important you were, what you would do is just say, well, I just sit at home. I, I'm, I'm so important, I don't even have to work. And uh, that's all changed now. The badge of honor is I'm really busy. And uh, gosh, I'm doing this. And that, and I remember when I was a lawyer, the busyness thing was such a badge of honor. And uh, how many hours did you do this week? Oh, da-da-da. You did an all-nighter. Oh, you didn't do an all-nighter. Da-da-da-da. And I remember working on Christmas Day one year uh, in a deal, a corporate deal, and uh, everyone was very excited that we were all working on Christmas Day because it meant we were really important. And, oh, gosh, isn't, aren't we super, super committed? But actually, no one really had to be there on Christmas Day. I mean, who... who who does that on Christmas Day? But do you see what I mean? It's a badge of honor. 
And uh, often, uh, when we're not busy, we don't feel very important, the research says. Now, you can take and leave all of this. You can put it in a pipe and smoke it for, you know, whatever you want to do with it. But actually, you know, this is where we're at culturally. This is gripping so far. <laughs> so what I want to do uh, is just uh, suggest that we, as people, think very, very seriously about this concept of Sabbath, this concept of rest, and some of those cultural dynamics that are playing out. And I want to uh, really just suggest a few things. The first thing, just to get practical, is review where you are with God. You might not feel busy for all nine, I know here, but it's worth just getting a handle on how busy you feel and what's making you feel busy. One thing I do, uh, I haven't done it for a while, but I'm too busy, but one thing I try and do is keep a record of my hours. Uh, and I, I try and just work out how many hours uh, a week I work, for example. Because I sometimes find I can feel really busy and I add up my hours. I think, actually, that's not too bad. Other times I can feel not busy at all and I've done a 70-hour week. Uh, other times, you know, there can be other things. So you want to just monitor your hours. And can I encourage you, uh, if you have children, to monitor their hours as well. And uh, in Surrey, the mental health of young people is the worst uh, county in the country. And uh, there's a drivenness to uh, parental expectations. And, you know, I don't know whether you've read Mr. Stink by David Walliams. Has anyone read Mr. Stink by David Walliams? Okay, a few of you. It's a great book. But there's a parody of this, this poor girl who, who has a music lesson at half past five in the morning. She does karate at quarter to six. She does French, and it goes on and on and on. And we can, we can actually put our kids under too much pressure. So do think about uh, that. Now, the second thing I want to uh, suggest you do is um, take responsibility for your busyness. Uh, there's only one person who can help you uh, not be busy, and uh, that's you, is the awful truth. And often we can feel, I felt, oh my gosh, they're making me do this, or my boss this, or that, or it's out of control, I've got no choice. You know... A few years ago, I was really uh, feeling busy, and I got a bit exhausted, and I was doing 80-hour weeks for many years, and I'd sort of got into that as a lawyer, I'd gone into some of the other stuff I was doing. And, um, you know, I was praying one day, saying, God, you know, what should I do, blah, 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 blah. And you, you notice how God always asks great questions at crucial times. You see it in the Bible with Adam and Eve, where are you? With Peter, who do you say I am? Or to the disciples, couldn't you stay awake? Well, I'm praying about uh, this busyness, and, and God just said to me, Mike, who's making you do it? And I thought, oh, well, the bishop's not, PCC aren't, the people in the church aren't, um, oh, <laughs> I'm choosing to do it. And so uh, it's important that uh, we take responsibility for our busyness and the choices we're making in life around how we work and how we conduct our life. Because actually, there are some things you can't change, I'm sure. But actually, you can actually make lots of choices that will really help you. And if you constantly think it's someone else and you're powerless and you can't do anything about it and this and that, you, you won't be able to change anything. Because it will be someone else's, you won't be able to change. The third thing I want to say is take a Sabbath. And, um, you know, we've heard from the scriptures that 
Sabbath was this idea uh, of um, one day off uh, in six, one day off uh, a week. Now, I would encourage you to think about Sabbath and rest. Remember, you're not under the law. You don't have to do that. You, you, you're not a bad Christian if you don't do that because we're not under the law. But it seems to me the principle, something Jesus seems to model, is resting well as working well. And um, I would encourage you to think about Sabbath. Now, okay, so I'm on this kibbutz. I'm 18 years old. This guy has said, I'll see you at 4.30 tomorrow morning. And so I'm standing in the dark by a bush he's told me to wait by. And it's freezing cold, 4 o'clock, pitch black. And suddenly this tractor pitches up. And it's this guy called Froomey. And um, we end up working together in the fields. And then... Um, as volunteers, we're quite separate from some of the Israelis on the kibbutz. And then uh, it gets to the end of the week. It's Friday. It's Friday night. I walk into the dining room, and the whole thing has a different atmosphere. And I said, what's going on? And they said, oh, it's the Sabbath tonight. And uh, obviously, for Jewish people, the, sab the Sabbath starts at sunset on Friday night, ends sunset Saturday night. And uh, we had... Uh, this amazing Sabbath. And I want to suggest, as you think about um, how you can put some boundaries around some rest time, I want to give you very, very quickly, don't groan, six, um, six features of a Sabbath uh, in Jewish terms. The first is the day is distinct. There's a distinctiveness to it. It's not, it's not like another day with a little bit of downtime. It's actually very, very different. I walked into this first Sabbath. I thought, gosh, I, I didn't know what was happening, but I just said, gosh, something different's going on here. And um, we don't rest so that we can um, basically go crazy the next day and keep up. We rest because actually there's a distinctiveness to the Sabbath. So the first thing is you need to think, what can I do that's distinctive as I seek to rest? The second thing is there's a spiritual element. So what happened is uh, this guy stood up, started to pray in Hebrew. Everyone stood up and committed the, the thing to God. And there's a spiritual element to the Sabbath. And you might want to have a few traditions around what you could do. It might mean lighting a candle uh, for a meal or something, or a few hours you do something. But there's a sense, as we've heard from these passages in Genesis and Exodus, that actually the Sabbath has a spiritual element to it. So I've got some friends will uh, uh, read the scriptures, pray for people, wait on God, whatever. There's a spiritual element to Sabbath. There's a food element, the third thing. And uh, within Jewish culture, there's a real feasting thing that goes on. And uh, we had different food on this Sabbath night, this, this Friday night. And uh, I, would I would think about food as part of that. So Bex and I, uh, when our kids were a bit younger, we found it, uh, it gets a bit more tricky at the moment. But um, we used to, on a Friday night, just have a special meal. And we called it family fun. And uh, we still tried to do something a little bit different on a Friday night. And uh, that's think food. And you might, if you're going to do this, have to obviously prepare in advance and think, um, think how you can plan this. It has a social element, the Sabbath. So it was a really fun night, the Sabbath, uh, uh, on this uh, kibbutz. And uh, through me, uh, 
you always used to say, hey, hey, Mike, Mikey, come with me. And <laughs> well, you, he used to take me, and I used to sit with his family and his kids, which is actually you know, quite an honor in that culture, just to have a meal with them. And it was social. And uh, so that's the fourth element. The fifth thing, it was fun. And uh, people used to, uh, I was slightly surprised, but um, after the meal, we had this great meal, great conversations, all sorts of stuff, candles, all this stuff. Suddenly someone um, got out, a, I don't know what the instruments were, but these musical instruments. And they started, you know, dancing and singing. And it was just this fun sort of thing. I can see on your faces, you've all got this. Could you just stop doing that? I was, I was nearly asleep, and you just woke me up, for goodness sake. And the, the final thing to think about is uh, a relaxation element. Uh, it's very, very important that however you craft a Sabbath, whether it's uh, a few hours, whether it is a day you, you set apart, that it has a relaxation, relaxation element to it. And uh, the things you want to think about is your personality. How do you relax? Uh, what's the dream for you? Uh, what about your kids? If you're married or your family or if you're married or you've got a boyfriend, or go- how, can you, how can you do that? And uh, you want to think email. Uh, are you going to turn phones off? How, what boundaries are you going to put around it so that you actually get this relaxation uh, time? And, uh, you know, uh, it's important that you, you just hold off and put boundaries so that you can find some rest and uh, actually restore and renew and find joy. And uh, I've got to be honest, Bex and I struggle to do uh, a day. Uh, it's partly we work on a Sunday. Uh, also, um, like Friday night with our kids, we drop them off. They do Urban Saints. We drop them off at 6.30, one of them, the other one at 7.15. We pick the other one up at 8.30, then pick the other one up at 9.45. So that's sort of Friday night. And then often they're playing footy on Saturday morning. Uh, so we're often up sort of half seven, eight, Saturday morning, which is kind of our day. We're, doing the ta- we're at the taxi stage of life. Some of you parents are nodding grimly or sort of thinking, ah, I'm through that. Um, <laughs> but try and uh, actually carve out some time because no one else will. Try and do something that works for you or, or the people around you because it's very, very important that we can turn uh, down and turn off in our crazy, busy culture where we feel so overwhelmed much of the time. 